And Lord, I pray that you would bless our time as well as we consider um, what your Apostle Paul has written in 1 Corinthians. May we um, recognize the need for the various spiritual gifts in our life, in our church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Well, maybe it's seated. Um, as we have been, we are in 1 Corinthians, um, and today we'll be in chapter 12. Let's see. Um, I used to have an outline up here. There it is. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, and we're covered most of it, but our focus is going to be on the latter half, so verses 12 to 29. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have a Bible, by all means, uh, pull it out, or if you, if you would like to borrow one, we have some um, there on the back table that you can grab. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. And so if you remember, as we are continuing through 1 Corinthians, right, um, there is this, this flipping upside down of the way we understand the world. Paul wants to say that, um, that what seems wise to the world is actually foolishness to God, and what seems foolish to the world is actually wise in the eyes of the Lord. And we've seen Paul trace this theme now through various um, divisions and concerns that the Corinthians have been having, various disputes they have been having amongst each other. Um, and last week, we, we came to this idea of worship. Um, what was happening in the Corinthians' worship? And specifically, last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper, right? And how um, at the Lord's Supper, they were gathering not just for the bread and the wine, like we do on Sunday, but this was actually a whole meal. And uh, the wealthy Corinthians were bringing lots to eat and drink, and they were eating and drinking it and not sharing it um, with their poorer brothers and sisters. And um, so that was was something Paul was, Paul was addressing in, in worship. That, that's, that might be how the world does it, but it's foolishness in the eyes of God. Um, and in the eyes of God, we come together and we share this meal together and the importance of it. And so that was the first part of, of, of Paul's addressing some of the worship issues in the Corinthians church. And now we are getting to the second part. The other part that he's addressing is spiritual gifts in the life of the Corinthian church, in the life of their congregation. Now, much like the discussion on, remember, eating food sacrificed to idols and whether they can eat this meat, um, that was a, a three-chapter argument. Um, we've got another one. We've got three chapters on the spiritual gifts and the problems the Corinthians were having with them in their church. And, and it seems to be that the big problem was this. There was a hierarchy, um, as far as the Corinthians were concerned, about spiritual gifts. And some were considered better than others. Um, and some of the flashier ones, the showier ones, were considered the best, um, while some of the more lowly ones were considered, you know, not as important. Um, and that actually, perhaps, maybe you were not quite as good a Christian if you didn't have one of these higher spiritual gifts. Um, and so... Again, you see the Corinthians dividing in a very individualistic way. I've got this. I must be good. They're not so good. They're lesser Christians than, than I am. And so um, these patterns are pretty consistent, and Paul's going to address them. And, and there's, it's a three-part argument, so stay tuned for the next three weeks because we're going we're gonna to touch on these. The first part is he's going to talk today. What we're going to look into is, is the necessity of this um, diversity of gifts. 
why are there all sorts of different gifts? What's the importance of that? So that's what we're going to, he's laying some foundational work now. He's going to talk about that. Um, chapter 13 is going to seem really out of place, right? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the classic wedding passage about love. And what we realize is that Paul's not talking about marriage. He's, he's had other words on marriage, right? We've talked about those. It would have been a little trickier at a wedding. Um, but this passage on love, while it certainly applies to marriages, is actually in the context of how the Corinthians are using their spiritual gifts. And so he's going to talk about the diversity of gifts. He's going to talk about rooting them in love. And then he's going to, in chapter 14, address what we think is the specific problem um, of, of prophecy and tongues and how these all fit in the greater kingdom of God. So there we go. I've laid out our sermons for the next three weeks. Um, but this week, focusing in on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, the main point of, of all of this is that Paul wants to bring um, the disorderly and self-centered worship practices of the Corinthians under control so that the church as a whole may be built up. There's this disordered and self-centered understanding of spiritual gifts, and rather than building up the church, it was tearing it apart. And Paul says that's not what these gifts are for, and that's not why they are there. So we're going to take a look at chapter 12. Um, if you have your outline, um, you can uh, follow along. And we'll begin just with the first um, three verses. And Paul wants to begin with a warning to the church. So look at verses 1 to 3. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So this is something they've addressed him, right? They've, they've, they've mentioned this, or he's heard word of this. So he says, um, concerning these things that we've talked about or that you've asked me about, I don't want you to be uninformed. But know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul wants to be um, very clear that discernment is necessary when evaluating the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, if you're looking at the outline, the gifts of the Spirit are always going to lead us to Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit will always lead us to Jesus. And the reason this is important, and we see it even today, is that somebody will stand up, somebody who... Um, might be self-identified as a Christian, and say something like, the Holy Spirit is doing something new. And he might lead, lead us, or she might lead us, in a way that is <clears throat> completely contrary to everything we've understood about Scripture. And what Paul is saying is, the gifts of the Spirit will not be in conflict with the Lordship of Jesus. So if the person, or people, or group, or whatever it is, your own heart, more likely than anything else, is the main culprit here, if, the, if you say, well, God's doing something new in my heart, right? Well, the question is, is it leading you to Jesus? Is this person who is um, proclaiming this thing leading us to Jesus, or are they leading us away from Jesus? Is this somebody who can proclaim the Lordship of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our Savior? 
And Paul's really wanting to warn the Corinthians because, honestly, they seem like a church that could be led in all sorts of interesting directions. And he wants to say, pay attention to where you're going. Because there can be gifts and there can be charismatic leaders and they can have really incredible things to say. But if they are not under the lordship of Christ, then they are not leading you in the right direction. The gifts of the Spirit will lead us to Jesus. And he'll go on to describe some gifts, right, at the end of chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> at the beginning of chapter 12, and we didn't read this section. Um, but he describes all sorts of gifts. That there are varieties of service, but the same Lord Varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them. And the point of it is, if the gifts of the Spirit are going to lead us to Jesus, then the reality is that all manifestations of the Holy Spirit, all gifts of the Holy Spirit, will serve the one God's purposes for the common good of the church. The gifts of the Spirit do not divide God's church. They do not separate it. They unite it. And the gifts of the Spirit serve the one God in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first number one thing to remember when we're thinking about the gifts of the Spirit. When Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, he's saying they're going to lead you to Jesus. They're going to be subservient to Jesus and they're going to lead you to Jesus. Now the second thing Paul wants to drive home is this idea that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Move on to verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Um, the church is the body of Christ. And what's really interesting is this analogy is actually not foreign to the Greek-speaking world. Um, that they would refer to things and people in groups as, as the body. But what's really fascinating is what you would expect if you were a typical Corinthian listening to somebody um, talk about this. Um, they would say, they would use this analogy to describe a hierarchy. The church is the you know, people are the body, or the community is, is a body, and there are more important members of the body than others. And so there are more important members of the community than others. And that's the complete opposite, right, of what Paul is going to argue here. Paul's argument is going to be, because we're one body, all members are equally necessary. All members are important. The church is the body of Christ. And more than that, if you look closely at verse 12, what's really interesting, um, we'll just read verse 12 with me, um, follow along. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, I think if you were to like go fill in the blank, okay, and we left out Christ, um, I think the most natural thing to put in there would be, so it is with the church, right? Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with the church. But what Paul says is, so it is with Christ. And so on one level, this idea of the body of Christ, the church being the body of Christ, is a metaphor, it's an analogy. But on another level, there is an equating 
of the church with the body of Christ that is more than a metaphor, almost a literal merging of these two things in Paul's writing, that in many ways the church is the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears of Jesus. That there's something more than a metaphor going on, something more than an analogy, that there's, there's um, some sort of mystical union here happening with Christ and the church as his body. And I think you see that elsewhere in Paul. And so it's important to understand this is a deep, this is a deep um, analogy here that Paul um, is, is getting into. And he describes it. He continues to go on in verses um, 13, right? He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there's this deep unity in Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And then there's deep unity with one another. We are, um, it's got this sort of immersion language. We are immersed in the spirit. We're baptized into the spirit. We all drink from the same spirit. That the spirit of God is somehow um, cons consuming us or we're consuming it. There's this very deep um, union between followers of Jesus and between the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself. And so despite our differences, Paul goes on to say, our old identity markers should no longer divide us. If we are that united in Christ, if we have come together that deeply in his spirit, then Paul says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. We see that in Galatians as well. You probably remember it from Galatians where Paul says, um, you know, in Christ there is no more Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. It doesn't mean that these differences don't exist. It just means that they no longer divide us. That our differences, especially our old identity markers, no longer divide us. And so then, when you read on, so verses 14 to 26, um, Christy, thank you. You did such a good job reading that today. Um, it's this sort of, I, mean, I think Paul's almost being funny. Like he's coming up with these ridiculous scenarios about a body. And like what if different parts of the body were to secede, right? And say, well, I'm not part of the body anymore. Or if different parts of the body said, well, I have no other need for this part of the body. So he's speculating, you know, what if the um, foot was disappointed that it was not a hand? And he said, well, I'm just not part of the body. Or if the ear was disappointed that it was not an eye and said, well, I'm, I'm done here. I'm, I'm not part of the body anymore. Or he goes on and he says, what if these body parts, um, what if they decide they don't need one another, right, to work together? How, how's that going to play out? And there's really, from this discussion and these, these verses, there's, there's three different points I think we can take away from this when we consider the church as the body of Christ. And the first one is this, you see in verses 14 to 20, um, the necessity of diversity. The necessity of diversity. This is really important. This is really important for Paul. So, um, verse 14, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If the body were made of all of one part, it would be totally useless, right? Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If everybody had the exact same spiritual gift, right? If everybody, for instance, what Paul's going to get to in chapter 14, spoke in tongues, but nobody knew what it meant, why would it matter? It wouldn't. It would be dysfunctional. It wouldn't work. And so what Paul is saying is there's a variety of gifts. What if everybody in this room had a gift of apostolic leadership? It would be a disaster, right? It would be, we would all be, um, you know, arguing and, and debating each other all day long if everybody had that same gift. What if nobody in this room had a gift of administration? Because I don't, okay? So if, if there was nobody in here who could be an administrator, it would be a sorry state. It would not be so good. We need all of these parts of the body. The diversity of gifts is necessary in the church if we don't want to be helpless. It is necessary. And because it's necessary, then no member of the church can think that they have nothing to bring to the community. And I think that's what Paul's addressing here. He talks about the foot um, speculating like, well, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that, and so I must not be part of the body. And what Paul wants to say is everybody brings something to the table. Everybody has a gift to give. Everybody has something to offer. And when you don't, when you're not here, when you think what you have to offer is not what the church needs, then we are missing out. We are missing out when people are not bringing what the Lord has given them to the table. We need each other, and we need everything that anybody can bring, and none of it's more important than what somebody else might have. There's this necessity of diversity. Um, and the second point, the second uh, bullet point there on your, on your outline, um, it's, it's similar to the first, but slightly different. Um, Paul wants to talk about the interdependence of the body. Um, not independence, that's the opposite of what he's talking about. He's talking about the interdependence, the idea that we need each other, the interdependence of the body. So look at verses 21 to 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So, if the first point was to say we have need of every gift that everybody has, um, the second point is to say that nobody with any one gift can think they don't need somebody else. They don't need another gift, right? So um, what does he say? If the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Um, if the head doesn't have feet, 
not much you can do, right? Like, it's, it doesn't work that well. Um, if, 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 if the body is not working together, um, it is not working in its fullness and in its wholeness. And that's what Paul is really trying to drive home. We are interdependent on one another. Um, there are no higher members of the body. There are no lower members of the body. Higher members can't look down on lower members because um, without all the members, there's almost no power whatsoever. The different parts of the body need each other to function effectively. That certainly is the same with the church. We need each other if we are going to be the church, if we are going to glorify God. We need one another. And Paul concludes, it's an interesting conclusion to this section, um, this, this, this reflection on the weaker, indispensable um, parts of the body. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, Paul actually says, are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Well, as Paul talked about weaker before, right, if we, we had this discussion that... Um, in the food sacrifice to idols. He said, you know, some Christians um, might seem weaker because they don't think they can eat this food sacrifice to idol. But, but Paul says, I will, I will become weak so that all of us may be strong. And Paul's saying that same thing. He's bringing that language in again. That there are, are what the Corinthians might call weaker Christians that Paul is saying, those are the ones. They're indispensable. They're absolutely necessary. And I think there's, um, there's some social hierarchy Paul is getting into here in the Corinthian church as well, that the weaker Christians would be the ones who didn't have um, the resources to bring food to the Lord's Supper, right? Um, the ones who were on the margins. And Paul is saying they are essential. They are indispensable. The gifts that they bring are incredibly important for the work of the church. Those who are apparently weak have an indispensable role in the life of the church. All are needed and honored in the body of Christ. And so that was um, <clears throat> the second point there, the interdependence of the body. And the final thing Paul talks about is the spiritual unity of the body. The spiritual unity. So looking at 25 and 26. That there may be, um, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, verse 25 now, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Have you ever like sprained your ankle or something, and but the rest of your body has been like happy about that, right? Right? That doesn't happen. If you sprain your ankle, just your whole self, it just kind of hurts. Um, if you're happy about something, your whole your whole body is happy, and that's what Paul is getting at here. There's this spiritual unity in the body, because we are necessarily diverse and interdependent on one another. Um, because of these things, we're diverse and interdependent that brings with it a deep spiritual unity. That there may be no division, 
that these things would not separate us, but instead bring us together in such a way they would bring us and knit us so deeply together that when one of us suffers, we would all suffer. And when one of us rejoices, we would all rejoice. And if you're a parent, I think you know what that's like, right? You've experienced that with your kids. What do they say? Um, a parent is only as happy as their saddest child, right? Um, now, that could be an exaggeration to an extent, but if your child's going through a hard time, you're there with them. You're in it with them. Now, hopefully you're in it in a way that, that, that pulls them out and that helps them along and brings them forward, and that's what we do as the body of Christ. We're together, we weep together, we rejoice together, we come alongside each other in difficulties and in triumphs. We're there for one another. There's a deep spiritual unity in the body of Christ. Um, that's um, really an important thing that Paul wants to drive home to the Corinthians. And so the flow of the argument now, so he's, he's talked about um, the gifts and how to discern and, and, and how to really um, pay attention to the leading of, of God and the spiritual gifts. And he's related the church now to the body of the Christ, body of Christ. So he's built up this foundation. And now he returns back to the spiritual gifts. He says, how do the spiritual gifts fit into this? Well, he says, um, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church. This is verse 27, 28. God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? He's laid the foundation and he's bringing home his point. There is a diversity of spiritual gifts in the church. Some have apostolic gifts, some have prophetic gifts, um, some are teachers, some are administrators, some um, speak in tongues. All of them, all of them are good and necessary to the flourishing of a healthy church. All of them are. Because we are the body of Christ. We are interdependent of one another, right? We need one another. There's a necessity of diversity among us. All of them are necessary for the flourishing of a healthy church. So as I said, the next two weeks, we're going to look now how, how Paul brings this argument together with the specific spiritual gifts. Um, but now I just want a couple things that we can, we can bring home from this passage. Um, and the first one is, is simply this. The spiritual gifts are tied to and lead us to faith in Jesus. The spiritual gifts are tied to and lead us to faith in Jesus. Jesus is, in, in Hebrew, it says the author and perfecter of our salvation, right? He is the one that came God himself became a man to die for us that we might be united to God, that we might have new life, that sin and death and evil would be defeated. All of this happens in Jesus and his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. And the spiritual gifts are used or there for the church to make that proclamation to the world. 
That is the point of the spiritual gifts. It's not to build any one of us up individually, right? Um, it's not to um, make us think that somehow we're better or more mature Christians. The point of the spiritual gifts is to bring us together for the unity of the church to proclaim the gospel to those who haven't heard it. And so spiritual gifts are tied to and lead to lead others to faith in Jesus. So that's the first thing we should remember. Um, the second thing is this. The church is a charismatic community. And both of those words are important. It's a charismatic community. It's charismatic in the fact that there really are spiritual gifts, and they really do exist, and people do exercise them still today. Some of them um, are what you might call more natural gifts, like um, leadership or administration, things like this. Um, and other ones are very much supernatural gifts. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing, working of miracles. These things exist. And they're real. The church is a charismatic community. That's important to remember, that the Lord is working, the Holy Spirit is working through His people. And so it's charismatic. It's also a community. And we don't need to drive this point home any further. That's the main thing we've been talking about, that these gifts exist for the good of the community for the sake of Jesus. It is a charismatic community. And then finally, the strong and the weak, if you would call them that, that's why they're in quotes. Well, you can put them in. Yeah, they're in quotes. The strong and the weak are deeply bound together. Deeply bound together. Um, the body of Christ is worldwide. There are Christians all over the globe. It's really, to me, one of the beautiful things about um, being Anglican, and there's other, there's other global churches, um, but being in this part of this denomination recognizes that you can't be a Christian by yourself, or that we as a church can't be the body of Christ by ourselves. And so we are connected to churches all over the world that are very different and very diverse and bring a, a multitude of gifts to us, a multitude of gifts together. We are connected in that way, um, and that's really important because we are deeply bound together um, with other Christians around the world. And we're deeply bound together with other Christians locally. These are important things to remember. Um, and it doesn't matter social status. It doesn't matter even denomination. Um, it matters being followers of Jesus. And in him, we're united and deeply bound together whether we're strong or weak, rich or poor, black or white, slave or free, all of these things united in Christ for the sake of the gospel. And so that begins um, our teaching, right? Paul's, Paul's addressing these Corinthians. He's saying, all right, um, your spiritual gifts are dividing you and they're building you up and they're putting others down and we're, we're going to take care of that. And so the main thing to remember from today is is this idea that we are a body and we need one another, we are dependent on one another, um, and we do that for the sake of the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you um, that you've given us so many different gifts, so many different spiritual gifts, Lord, that you've given them to us to use for the sake of your church, for the proclamation of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the gifts you've given us would bring us together, that they would be diverse, that they would be uniting, that you would enable us, Lord, to have the deep spiritual bonds of unity, that in so doing, we would be proclaimers of the good news of your Son. 
We ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen.